1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your
2: door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast.
0: With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sports-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire Pods, search for us on iTunes or check out BlueWirePods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. New England 10-in QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo quick pass caught by Kittle. He dives and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle, he's done. Goal. Touchdown. Oh hey there, it's another Candlestick
3: Chronicles podcast, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. We got Chris Beaterman. I'm Kyle Madsen. Joining us today is Nick Wagner from ESPN, and the Niners have had a busy last three days, guys. I know where you typically do that. How's it going? What's going on? We're going to skip all that because I know what you guys have been up to. You've been covering the draft. You've been covering Joe Staley retiring. You've been covering the Trent Williams trade. You've been covering the big Jalen Hurd news. Uh, <laughs> but Chris, we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, the, the big news out of the weekend is Joe Staley's retirement. His career with San Francisco is over after 13 seasons. Uh, what was your initial reaction when you found out yesterday that that he was officially calling it quits?
4: Yeah, so I, I was a little melancholy about it, uh, to be honest, because he's the only player that's been on the team uh, every year since I started covering the team on the ground in 2013. So Joe and I have, have built up a pretty good rapport. He's probably the funniest guy in the locker room. Um, and we like to mess with each other a lot, so I, I de- I'm definitely going to miss that. But um in terms of just where I was at from you know a mental standpoint on Saturday morning, Friday was really slow because the 49ers didn't have any picks, so I was trying to talk with my editor and figure out what to write and what do we want to spin forward, and I had a bunch of ideas for Saturday, and I'm very glad I didn't pre-write anything Friday for Saturday because Saturday turned out to be a much more hectic day than, it was, than I was anticipating. But, um, you know, you you heard things earlier in the week. I know Matt Mayoko went on the radio and said he doubted Staley would come back, which uh, which raised my eyebrows because I thought Staley was coming back because I, when I spoke to him, after, you know, the last time I spoke to him was right after the Super Bowl. He said, yeah, I'm going to go to Hawaii and with my family and then I'm going to get right back to it. Um, and then John Lynch said on Monday he was encouraged by – uh, what Staley had been doing. He was working out in San Diego, doing his, his typical off-season routine. Um, but what Mayoko said really raised my eyebrows because Mayoko wouldn't say something like that publicly if if he didn't have an inkling about something. Um, so as the week went on, you you sort of tried to dig into it a little bit uh, and you, you would hear rumblings about the Niners maybe being interested in Trent Williams and all that. But, I mean, on Saturday morning... Look, like, during the draft, for me, I try to sleep in as much as I can on Thursday because I know Thursday is going to be a late night, Friday is going to be a late night. And then Saturday morning, like, when you have to wake up for the 9 a.m. start of the draft, is just horrendous. So for me, it was like, shower, go downstairs, and start watching the draft, and hopefully I won't have to write anything for a while. And then, boom, as soon as 9.07 hits, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network tweets out that the 49ers have have done the the Trent Williams trade and then it's like all right Joe Staley's certainly hanging him up because there's been no indication that Trent Williams would ever play guard and that would be the only impetus for the 49ers giving away draft picks um, for somebody like Trent Williams they're not going to send away multiple picks for a veteran who's who's you know going to play guard that they're, they're they're they were clearly bringing in Williams to play tackle. so from there it was just Crazy day. It was trying to balance, like, all right, we got to give this Staley thing the coverage it deserves. We got to talk about the Trent Williams trade. And in the background, all these other things are happening with the draft. So it was a crazy day, but I'm a little bit melancholy about it because uh, because I, I really enjoyed covering Staley. Obviously, fans love him because of his personality and, and the way he plays and things like that. But Nick... Um, you, you've been on the beat now since, what, 2016? I know you've, you've gotten to know Joe pretty well. What were your thoughts about what happened yesterday?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, obviously I haven't been around him as uh, as long as a lot of you guys have, but I see the same things that you guys do. And, uh, you know, it was, I thought it's it's funny. I can just give you my perspective. First of all, first of all, Joe, uh, you know, I covered the Rams for a long time in St. Louis. And I, the one guy, actually the two guys, and Niners fans won't be surprised to hear this, that Rams players always talked about with great affinity, no matter how much of a, a rivalry they were considered or any of that kind of stuff, putting all that aside, the two guys that Rams players would always talk about having great affinity for were Frank Gore and Joe Staley. And I remember Robert Quinn telling me one time uh, in great detail about why he thinks Joe Staley was the best tackle he ever went up against and uh, you know, talking about the technique and the athleticism and how Joe didn't get enough credit for how strong he was. And all that kind of stuff. So, like, the on field stuff is almost gets overlooked because Joe's such a big personality. And that was, I, I kind of found myself thinking about that yesterday. Like, man, this is a six time Pro Bowler who has just been a bedrock of this organization for a long time, through a lot of bad, through a lot of good. And he's kind of been the one guy that's always there. And I don't even know if he really actually gets enough credit for as good of a, as a football player as he is. Because. He is such an outgoing guy, and because he loves making jokes and all that kind of stuff, and um, I think that's actually a really cool legacy to leave behind, that you loved what you did so much that no matter how good you were at it, people always first remember how much you loved it. I think that's a really cool thing for Joe Staley. And personally, as someone who was only around him for about four years, I think that's really going to be his legacy when people look back on this.
3: So this is one of those times where the difference between – people like me who blog from home and people like you guys who have boots on the ground and are in the locker room every day, this is where I feel like it's it's a lot different. So my first off-season interaction with Joe Staley's future was when Matt Mayoko said on his podcast, like, yeah, there's no indication either way. Like, it's kind of 50-50 right now. And then John Lynch comes out the Monday before the draft and said, we're optimistic he's coming back. We've received no indication that he's not. For you guys, did, and Chris, I'll start with you, because I know you, you chatted with Staley a little bit after the Super Bowl, did you get any indication he was leaning one way or the other uh, after after that last game?
4: Well, I, I tried multiple times to get Staley on the record for, for an off-season story, and, um, and he declined to to do interviews and you know Joe is Joe is somebody that is very gracious with his time in the locker room typically so um you know I know players are working out and spending time with their families and these are a little bit weird times so I could understand why players wouldn't want uh to talk to the media or, or you know some guys just don't want to attract attention to themselves and I could see Staley doing that but um I my the the flags kind of raised for me when when Staley didn't want to talk really to anybody, um throughout the off season. Let you know, not just me. I know other people were were trying to get Staley to to talk to them for interviews too. And to me, it's like, well, if Staley's coming back and he's really confident in that, then he would probably just come back and say it. And then there was, well, maybe there's a gamesmanship aspect to this from the 49ers standpoint in that. They don't want people to know whether or not they're in the market for a tackle because that impacts draft strategy right. and what other teams mm-hmm. might be doing. So, But just the fact that Staley didn't wasn't out there talking um, did, did raise a flag a little bit for me, but um, I was ultimately surprised. And the thing is, is Staley disclosed a neck injury uh, in the letter that he, that he released on his social media yeah. and the 49ers pu- pushed out that, um, you know, he said it his neck is deteriorating and it's really uncomfortable and affecting his everyday life. And that's a big deal, especially for an offensive lineman, but that's not something he ever shared with us before. Um yeah. and he's openly talked about, you know, his injuries on and off the record. Um and so I was surprised to to hear about that and I, I didn't know that because um it was something he hadn't mentioned before. But um yeah, Nick, what what did you think in terms of how the off season went and and what was your opinion of Staley's status going into the week
1: it's funny because every year that i've covered the team that has always been a question that you ask at the end of the year is what's joe's status and um, you know he's been very honest and open about how he almost walked away after the chip kelly season and kyle Shanahan coming in kind of reinvigorated him a little bit adding mike mcglinchey obviously helped with that and then of course getting back to winning this year certainly was something that that helped with that so that's been something that's been on the radar every year and you can kind of piece together with the way he's leaning on if he reacted the same way as he did the last three years right so he was always adamant when he was coming back he would say that and he would let you know that and he would you know he would almost scoff at the notion that he was thinking about retiring this year at the beginning of the year you could tell he was very into it he was very happy and then when the injuries started mounting if you would broach that subject with him you didn't get that same sense Uh, right Chris like you could vouch for that right that you know you wouldn't you wouldn't hear the same things from him in terms of, oh, yeah, I'm, I'll definitely be back. I can't wait to keep playing. And as the year went on, he got more and more quiet on the subject, as, as Chris just mentioned. And so when we went into the off season, it was a question. And from my perspective, th- this whole thing really started to get real. And when I started to think that Joe was, was probably walking away was that I got wind that they had started at least putting in motion a plan to, to acquire Trent Williams. And from what I knew and from talking to John Kime, my colleague out in Washington, who was, was pretty tight with Trent Williams, he was never going to be a guy who, who would play guard. That's, he, he wouldn't even play right tackle. Like, he's he's a left tackle. He thinks he's one of the best tackles left tackles in the league, which most people would argue that he is when, when he's been healthy and available. And so he was never going to move off that. And so there's only one mechanism that would trigger landing Trent Williams, and that was Joe Staley. So it was really hard to get a hold of Joe Staley – But if you were just going to follow kind of the tea leaves to figure out what the end game was going to be, it was that. And as Chris pointed out, the thing that jumped out the most when you look in his letter, which by the way was phenomenal, I wasn't at all surprised by that. But just an unbelievable read uh, that he took the time to put, you know, pour himself into to putting all that on paper like that. But when you when you see deteriorating neck condition, you obviously know that that's not something that is wise to play through. Joe is a very smart guy, and he wasn't going to push it, and it's, it's, it's a shame they didn't get a ring before he left, but uh, he, he obviously had the career that most guys dream about having.
4: Yeah, and one thing I do want to add, um, I, I think I mentioned it on the pod uh, earlier, maybe after the Super Bowl, but talking to Staley, I, I was really fortunate to get him one-on-one in the locker room, and I know he was um, he was sort of despondent, but he was really gracious with his time, and in, in talking to me and he said something that um I thought was really telling and um you know he's he basically said I found the quote, uh, I don't give a shit about any of that other stuff. I don't care about being paid. I don't care about going to Pro Bowls. I don't care about anything. I just want to win a Super Bowl. I want to know what it feels like to win that to win a Super Bowl trophy. And there was a moment in the fourth quarter where we had a twenty ten lead and there was about eight minutes left and I thought I was going to get that. Uh so alas and, and he was he was kind of welled up when he was talking about that. He was pulling on socks, custom socks that had his daughter's faces on them, which I thought were awesome, and I, I really regret not getting a picture of those, at, but it probably wouldn't have been a great time. Um, but, yeah, that's that's just who Staley was. He was all about winning. Obviously, Frank Gore is his favorite teammate ever, and, and they both uh, embody a lot of those same ideals. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's – it's kind of sad, but at the same time, I was thinking about this last night too. When you know everybody on Twitter was talking about Staley in the moments. For me, I remember being in the press box and watching that third quarter touchdown. I think it was Raheem Mostert, uh, week 17 in Seattle, when Mostert scored the touchdown, gave the ball to Staley. Staley spikes it. It was it was you know at the end of the year, Mostert was was giving the ball to offensive linemen to celebrate all his touchdowns, and Staley's spike really felt like it meant something to him and that, you know, the 49ers obviously won that game. So while it's sad for Staley uh, that he didn't get a Super Bowl, I think that he can, you know, the last regular season game he played being a win in Seattle where he had gone so long without winning and he hated playing there, and, and that win really meant a lot to him, and obviously it meant a lot to the team because so much was on the line week 17. But, um, you know, for, for how you know, I guess sad it it is that Staley didn't get to win a Super Bowl. I think um, obviously winning a regular season game in Seattle isn't the Super Bowl, but he did get that feeling and there was that semblance of, uh, you know, closure, I guess, or whatever. I mean, it's not nearly at the same level, but I'm happy for Staley in that he got to finish his last regular season game was a win in Seattle, um, giving the 49ers the one seed that ultimately set up their, their road to the Super Bowl. And and that, to me, is is a pretty good way for Staley to end, even though the 49ers did blow that fourth-quarter lead against the Chiefs.
3: The the retirement was so strange because, like, usually we know it's a player's last year going in, or it's really sudden. Like, Patrick Willis just kind of came a little bit out of nowhere. Uh, but this is strange because the the sequence of events went, Monday, John Lynch says that he's optimistic Staley's coming back. Then they get to the 13th pick in the draft with Tristan Wirfs on the board. Somebody, Chris, I know you and I, Nick, I'm not sure how you felt. It was like, oh, if Wirfs falls to the Niners, he's the exact kind of player that they would that they would like to have on their offensive line. He can play guard for a little bit, then move to tackle when Staley goes. But when they passed on Wirfs, it felt to me like, oh, they must know Staley's coming back. Right, if they didn't. They would have addressed the left tackle situation, but then Monday morning at, or, or sorry, Saturday morning at nine oh seven, the Trent Williams trade comes down, and it's like, oh, so Joe Staley must be retiring, and then it just kind of slowly like trickled out that this kind of giant in Forty ers history is retiring. It was just such a strange sequence of events to me because there was so much evidence that he was going to come back and then all of a sudden there's a trade that says he's retiring and that came out three hours before he officially retired. Yeah, just I, a, just I have odd, a question just for just Nick odd, about this.
4: Thing. Um, so the compensation in the trade, and and I, I think now is, is, is probably a good time to shift gears a little bit, but the compensation on the trade, a fifth-round pick and a third – seems like a whole lot less than what Washington was trying to get maybe midway through last season or before last season when they were you know probably after a first round pick why do you think the compensation changed and is it just is it just the fact that they have a new coaching staff and front office in place and they were willing to just say hey this is just addition by subtraction let's let's get this third and this 3 and 5 make everybody happy and just move on with it rather than, you know, push for a first or second round pick, which is seemingly what they were trying to get last year?
1: Yeah, I think there's a few factors that that go into play here. And from the people I've talked to, I think what you just touched on as part of it uh, with the new regime and all that. Look, Bruce Allen, when he ran the Redskins, he was the type of guy who wasn't going to let Trent Williams go unless he got what he wanted. And it was, you know, admittedly a petty thing. It was part of the reason people in Washington wanted him gone. Part of the reason that he took a lot of criticism over the years and all those things. And I also think that then you still have to have a market price that the league sets. And that's what the other teams do is is who's interested, what are they willing to give up? And obviously a first-round pick didn't happen. A second-round pick, from what I know, was what their target was for most of last season. But then you start saying, okay, well, it's been, I think I looked it up as of yesterday, it was 482 days since Trent Williams last played in a game and you start saying, okay, I'm willing to give up something because I know what kind of player he can be, but is he still that player? And, and, and so it really it hurts his value in some sense from a trade standpoint because you don't know for sure what you're getting. Obviously, you know what the history is. You expect that he's got fresh legs, all those types of things, and you like that, but you still need to go see it. And I think that plays into why the Niners have, have talked about, and even Trent Williams has said, like, let me come in and show that I can still be this dominant guy that I've always been. And then we'll talk about a contract. So that, that type of compensation, there's kind of that give and take there. And I think that was a big part of why it played out the way it did. And then the other factor here is, I mean, let's be honest, when, when Bruce Allen was in charge, a lot of people said that he was going to do Daniel Snyder's bidding. He was not going to make deals with Kyle Shanahan. We know that the long history between the Shanahan family and the Redskins, and it's not good and getting Bruce Allen out of there, having Kyle Smith and Ron Rivera running things out there certainly opened that door back up and and they finally were able to get something done.
4: Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Like I was thinking about it last night and just okay, so how do we view this in the big picture? Like what do we are, are we thinking about this in a vacuum where wow, you you swap out Joe Staley for Trent Williams, if you're getting peak Trent Williams from, you know, 2017 and 2018, you might even be getting an upgrade, uh, frankly, in terms of production on the field. Um, and then, you know, taking taking a wider look, it's like, man, all right, so you make the decision to trade DeForest Buckner. And I guess, you know, I, I think the 49ers made the right call, ultimately, when it comes to paying Armstead, uh, trading Buckner for pick 13. Um, and moving forward that way and paying Armstead, and then you see what they did with just swapping out, you know, DeForest Buckner for Javon Kinlaw, basically straight up, while also using that 13th pick, leveraging it to move back one spot, get a fourth round pick, which ultimately you use to trade up from 31 to 25 to send to Minnesota to get Brandon Ayuk. So in essence, the DeForest Buckner trade helps you get the receiver you like because Kyle Shanahan said. Um, you know, Brandon Ayuk is his favorite receiver in the entire draft, which is certainly interesting and, and worth debating uh, maybe another time. But, I mean, just looking at what the 49ers did, they came into this with, what, $13 million in cap space. They didn't have any picks in rounds 2, 3, or 4. And they were able to, to replace their biggest departures into Forrest Buckner, Emmanuel Sanders, and Joe Staley with Javon Kinlaw, Brandon Ayuk and Trent Williams and to me I mean that says a lot about this front office and just their ability to to execute things because this could have gone a ton of different ways and they could be significantly worse right now than they were at the end of last season and I'd argue they're they're not as good as they were at the end of last season because Kinlaw isn't Buckner Ayuk isn't Sanders but in terms of building for the long run those guys have similar upside to those players and Trent Williams, you know, you, you, let's say it's a wash. Let's say Trent Williams gives you basically exactly the type of production at left tackle as Joe Staley gave you last year. I mean, to me, I think I, I, I'm curious, Kyle. I want to hear what you think about this. To me, I think the front office did a really good job because this could have been an outright disaster. We could we could be we could be talking about you know Sean Coleman and Justin School <clears throat> and Colton McKivitts competing for the starting left tackle job, but instead we're talking about a guy who's gone to a ton of Pro Bowls, like Nick said, highly regarded as as one of the best left tackles in the game. And he's a perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense because Shanahan the Shanahan's drafted him fourth overall in two thousand five. So to me it seems like a really deft job by the front office to to really adjust on the fly and fill all their glaring needs about as well as they possibly could given the circumstances particularly given that they didn't have a whole lot of resources to work with. Kyle, I'm I'm curious as to what you think about that.
3: Yeah, something that that jumped out is something we talked about on our podcast Thursday night was Joe Staley. It might have been earlier last week. Whatever. It doesn't matter. We talked about how if Staley was going to retire, he would have let the Niners know so they could operate properly in the draft. And it turns out that's what happened. He told them Monday after John Lynch's media session that he was hanging him up. And the Niners were able to start working on a plan to uh, ultimately replace him. And when you look at what what Trent Williams offers, he didn't play at all last year. Uh, but in 2018, he uh, had a really good pro football focus grade, a 75.6 overall. Um, there's nothing he's not good at. Something that that I think it could wind up playing a role is, is the fact that he is so familiar with Kyle Shanahan and that offense. And if they wind up having a truncated offseason where there's no offseason program and they're just jumping right in to, to training camp, uh, having a left, uh, left tackle who's familiar with the offense and knows what he's doing is, I think, going to be a pretty big deal. And the fact that San Francisco is not relying on a new left tackle or a rookie left tackle to be good is is significant. And they they at worst took a lateral step at that position, while while attending to their other kind of biggest needs going into the draft. So I I, I don't think that there's a lot of ways this could have worked out better for them. I mean, if the, if the picks wind up being busts, then that is what it is. But um, as of April, what is it, April 26th, I I, I think if you, you had told them going into the draft that they can come out looking like this, I, I think the entire front office would have been okay with it.
1: So, to put a point on what you're saying, Kyle, is I, I think when <laughs> – when you look at the draft and you look at trades and, and all these things, you're always looking at value propositions, right? It's right. it's what could I have had instead, or if I do this, can I do that? And and that's what the that's kind of like that tight that high high wire act the Niners have been walking this whole off season because they didn't have a ton of resources in terms of cap space, but they and they didn't have a ton of resources in terms of draft picks other than those two first rounders. But they had a few very obvious needs and I think when it came down to how they were trying to make those pieces fit They were saying, who's the best possible guy that we can get for this spot with the resources that we have? And if we don't, if we take someone at a different spot, what's the drop off from the guy that we missed out on to the guy who's below him? And I think that's really, if you look at the whole thing and how it played out, because I'm with you guys, I was a big Tristan Wirfs guy. I really liked him. I thought he would have been a really great right guard right off the bat who could have eventually moved to tackle. I think the Niners had their reservations about what kind of long-term left tackle he would have been, or even if even right tackle, potentially moving McGlinchey to the left side. And now you've got a bunch of moving pieces that you don't want. But they they just didn't have that option in the draft at at that 13 or 14 spot that was going to be that polished left tackle that you could put in there. So, I mean, I don't think any, any reasonable person would say that any of the tackles drafted over the weekend are better than Trent Williams. There's not, a, there's not five human beings on the planet that are better left tackles right. than Trent Williams, at least soul, assuming he comes back at the level that you expect him to. So then you go to defensive tackle and you say, okay, Javon Kinlaw is this clear, clearly one of the top two defensive tackles in the draft. There's not somebody at his level available in free agency and what is the drop off from him to the next defensive tackle say Ross Blacklock or one of those guys mm-hmm. it's a pretty big drop off and I think the Niners viewed it that way as well and then you get to receiver and I know that receiver and I get it trust me because I was a Jerry Judy guy too I'm not going to I'm not going to revise history now that it's over I was a big Jerry Judy guy also but if you're looking at that receiver group everyone said it's the deepest receiver group in a long time and you've got, you know, you get maybe WR five or WR six on most people's board. I'm not even talking about how the Niners view it. Obviously Kyle Shanahan saw it differently with Brandon Ayuk. So they went and they got another guy who they feel could get the job done that way. And so it's really the, this this kind of series of value propositions. And I really think that maybe somebody who doesn't get enough credit in that discussion. I don't know, but I'm just guessing is Parag Marate because I yeah. think he really understands how resources need to be allocated and what the trade-offs are, both financially and talent-wise, when you're looking at the big picture.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. I think we're getting a really, uh, a really solid insight into what the Niners want to do, team-building-wise, in their first kind of big reshuffling since since John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan came over. Like they had to kind of build the team from the ground up, starting in 2017. But now we're we've reached a point where some of their some of their big name guys are are kind of under the gun contract wise, and we're seeing how they adjust to that. So I'm I, I'm interested to talk about some of the picks with you guys. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um, do we want to hit on the the Jalen Hurd news from yesterday before we get to a break? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um,
4: yeah. So, uh, Jalen Hurd, who is a very popular 49ers player. Um, on Twitter, who had two, Fan I guess two and a half weeks of training camp, had a obviously really, really good showing in his first ever preseason game at receiver for the 49ers, catching a pair of touchdowns. Um, John Lynch was asked directly. I'm, I'm trying to find the quote right here. Uh, here it is. So you got it. All right, as for Jalen Hurd, he's doing really well. This is John Lynch. Um, One of the benefits is that the rehab players have been able to be around the facility. They've been granted permission by the league. We take great precaution with all those things, but Jalen is doing really well. He is cleared. We're ramping him up. We're very optimistic. Excuse me. I don't want to be overly optimistic. Last year, we saw some progress and then we had some setbacks, so I'll let that continue to take its place. He's out. He's running. He's doing really well, and we're excited about that. Um, Jalen's 14 days that we've seen from him were lights out. The problem is we've only seen him for 14 days. Jalen knows full well we need He needs to work his tail off and that he can get back uh, and be a contributor and try to earn opportunities to be a contributor for our team moving forward. We love his skill set. We love his mindset. Now it's time to put it all to work. Um, I will continue to – this is just me talking. And and I I will continue to question Jalen Hurd's overall viability as a contributor to the offense until I see him on the field. Sure. Um, because as we were talking about before, one the podcast, preseason
3: game didn't sell you. What's that? I said one preseason game didn't sell you. <laughs> it sold me on on
4: what he could be. Sure, but but yeah. counting on him to be anything more, uh, you know, counting on him to be a starter or be the answer at H back or whatever, um, I think is premature because like like I told you guys before we started recording, I I have a hard time reconciling the fact that. Okay, he's healthy now in April after a fracture in his back, but he couldn't be with the team in Miami um, because of you know to go to the Super Bowl uh, because of the injury and and so you know I, I I think I think we don't have the whole story. I think John Lynch is gonna say what he says publicly because um, that's his prerogative which I have no problem with uh, but I just until You know, I know fans will say, well, John Lynch said he's fine and and whatever, and a lot of fans think he's going to start right away. I would just caution that because back injuries are really problematic. We saw it with Trent Taylor in 2018 after his really promising 2017. He had back surgery in May 2018, never got right. Um, Garrett Selleck had a ton of back issues that ultimately led to his retirement. Um, you know, you can go to any sport, you talk about back surgery and, and stress fractures and, you know, micro fractures, whatever, like that's a big deal. And, and so, you know, I, I think it it was problematic for me that Hurd wasn't at the Super Bowl. Like I, I just, you know, and, and we didn't see him. I don't think I saw Jalen Hurd around the facility and maybe he was hiding from us behind the scenes, but like from November on, I don't even think he was there. Um, and I know Kyle Shanahan referenced it that that because of the back they didn't want him sitting in meetings and all that. I I, I guess I buy it to a certain extent, but I, I'm I'm proceeding with a lot of caution when it comes to expecting Jalen Hurd to to be a major contributor this year. And I don't think the 49ers are operating like he will be. I think they would love him to be, and he would add a very unique dynamic to their already really good offense. But, um, Nick, what, what do you think about, about Jalen Hurd's prospects right now as being um, a healthy contributor and, and what you expect to see when he steps on the field in training camp?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in the same boat as you, and I think it's where the Niners are as well. It's, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, you know. And that's, that's again, that's not a knock on him. It's just a function of he, he hasn't been healthy enough and capable of going out and doing it consistently. I mean, you hear John Lynch say, it's been 14 days. I hadn't even gone back and done the math on exactly how many practices he participated in and things like that. But that, if that's if that's the sample size, then how can you count on him? And you don't even know what you're going to have if and when he gets back. And I think there's a few guys, actually, that I would put in that same boat. You know, Jarek McKinnon is another one. Trent Taylor, you mentioned, is another one. These are guys that people have high hopes for. And I get that. That's totally fine because it, they have all in their own way flashed, whether it's McKinnon with the Vikings Taylor with the Niners, or Jalen Hurd even in just a preseason game, they've shown little glimpses here and there. And a lot of times we're in a position where people would look at the Niners and say, well, they need a receiver. In McKinnon's case, they need a pass-catching running back. Well, those guys in theory fit the bill, so you want to project them to be the guys to fill that role. But I think in some sense, uh, especially with guys who have been hurt for a long period of time, you just have to figure that anything you get from those guys will be found money because – Right now, the Niners certainly aren't operating like a team that is counting on Jalen Hurd to start and play forty snaps a game, or, or Trent Taylor, or yeah. same thing, or Jarek McKinnon, the same thing. So I think that when you just look at the big picture, Jalen Hurd, anything they get from him this year, in my opinion, would be a bonus, and especially if he can come in and perform well, not just stay healthy. But uh, I think that's how the Niners view it too, and I don't think I don't think they've left themselves open to getting hurt by that. Which you know what, what I mean by that is I think if they had just were counting on him uh, and not going out and making additional moves to add guys, then I think they would have put themselves in a far more difficult spot than if they hadn't drafted a couple of receivers, signed Travis Benjamin, the different things that they've done to make sure that they're covered.
3: Yeah. I I think that, I think that's right. You can just tell, like even, even going into the off season, knowing Sanders is probably gone. Like the, the receiver roster was pretty bare and that was, that was with, saying, okay, Jalen Hurd's healthy and is going to be available for 16 games. Like, I just – I'm not certain he can contribute on a re, on a regular basis. Like, he's still freaking learning how to play wide receiver. And he's still probably learning the offense since he only had three weeks of it last year. So, I, 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 I think the way they operated in the offseason, the way they've gone through the draft – and we'll talk about the, the two wide receivers they took in the draft in a little bit – I. They're not set at receiver, even if Jalen Hurd is healthy. Like if you if you told me he's playing sixteen games, I would still say they need to get better at that spot.
4: And also too, with Jalen Hurd, it's like, you know, the Tennessee thing, him him going there as a running back and leaving, you know, that wasn't like a rosy situation. Right. Right. So yeah. we, you know, and I'm not saying that this is gonna be the same thing, but we've seen a situation before where injuries have played a significant role in a relationship between a player and program and or team deteriorate. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's necessarily where this is headed, but that's just a reason why I would operate with caution moving forward in terms of the way, the way anybody should evaluate uh, where things are at with Jalen Hurd, because I, I think Nick put it best when he said, I I think, you know, getting, getting a productive Jalen Hurd at this point would be a bonus for the offense. Um, But, guys, why why don't we take a quick break, and then we'll break down sort of our thoughts on on each move and all the trades and everything else that happened uh, in the draft over the last three days. So, with currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Las Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor Big Brother, American Idol stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. Go to BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. All right, so All right. let's go through the drafts and what the 49ers did. Um, Nick, I know you had a bunch of really interesting tidbits uh, on your Twitter feed about the gap between picks that the 49ers had from round one to round five. Um, Kyle, I know you talked about it, too, on, on Niners Wire, the fact that the Niners didn't make any of their own picks uh, going into the draft. So um, I guess, Nick, I'll start with you. In terms of all the wheeling and dealing, and um, or I guess let, let's just start What real quick, I guess. What what were your thoughts on Javon Kinlaw? I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, I know you've studied him pretty ex- extensively. What are your thoughts on the pick? Uh, can the 49ers rely on him to give you Seventy percent of DeForest Buckner's production this year, and how do you think uh, things stand right now with the interior of that defensive line? Yeah, it's it's
1: funny, and I want to be real clear about this. Like, I you know, I, I study these guys as much as I can, and it, it, we all form our opinions, and we all have our favorites, and that's part of the fun of the draft. To me, the more interesting thing about the whole situation is, I, I like, I'm an, I'm interested in team building. It's my favorite part of covering the NFL. I just like the process. I like to see how different teams go about. They're different things. And so I like the Kinlaw pick in the sense of, and this is something that I think probably drives people nuts and they probably won't like to hear me say it, but I like that the Niners have drafted defensive linemen five of the past six years in the first round. I like that Kyle Shanahan has been very open and says, you know, I'm a, I'm a defensive line guy. I always took Michael Strahan and Madden with my buddies. I'm going to do it every time I can. I think his, his exact words, I'm always down to draft a defensive lineman if, the, if it's the right fit, if it's the right guy. I like that because I like teams that have a philosophy and they have something that they believe in and they 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 you know I think I've heard you guys talk about it on the pod before strengthening a strength and I'm I'm a I'm a big believer in that but Kinlaw the player I'm fine with I think he I think he's raw I think there's there's a lot of work that needs to that's going to need to be done with him but. Uh, he himself said it. I, I asked him the question about, you know, is it is it tough to follow the, the, the footsteps of DeForest Buckner, who is such a good player? And he said, you know, I've I studied DeForest Buckner. I like DeForest Buckner. And I remember, you know, the jumps that he made after he got NFL level coaching. So I appreciate that John, Javon Kinlaw was very open about you know I know that I I need to I need to do that work. I know that I need to have that same type of coaching and so long as he's willing to put in the work, I think there is a lot of potential there and it certainly is going to help him to have that defensive line, those guys that he has around him, the Bosa's and the Armstead's and the DJ Jones and those guys I certainly think he's going to benefit from that. So uh, to me, it was a pick that made a lot of sense. I liked it even better after they moved back a spot, just because they were able to grab another pick, which obviously they eventually traded. But nonetheless, it was it was good value where they got him, and it was a pick to me that makes sense within the confines of what the Niners want to be about.
3: Yeah, I think I think that last point really hits it on the head. Like Javon Kinlaw is the encapsulation of helping out in the short term. But the hope is that he will grow over the next two, three, four seasons, uh, to to be a factor long term and to extend the Niners championship window. And I think they're they're counting on him to to be a factor this season. But I think the reason they drafted Javon Kinlaw is for what he'll be next season or the season after, because he has all the tools to be and perennial pro bowl all pro type guy just with his his strength and his his length and uh i i have a hard time believing with this coaching staff that he's not going to turn out to be a a really good player on the defensive line
4: yeah so let's move on to brandon Ayuk, and um i tried to watch him and and study him a little bit more since thursday night when they took him and it's very apparent why the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan in particular, likes him. Because he he sort of has everything that Shanahan wants in terms of explosiveness. He doesn't have he doesn't have like that fourth gear speed where like a, a four four guy would have. He ran a four five one. Um but he did have a core muscle issue during the combine, so maybe he would have been a little bit faster. But I, I talked to somebody um and uh and he said he basically plays 4-5-1 like he 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 plays 4-5 he doesn't play 4-4 four, four, so they they do think that's a good read on his speed but um the the question i have and and i think i think the base layer is there the lump of clay is there he can be molded into a very good player by Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers coaching staff particularly the way they could utilize how good he is after the catch by getting him open in space and letting him do his thing that way, which Arizona State did a pretty good job of doing. The question I have about it, which is, I guess, the same question we'd have about Kinlaw or any other rookie, but how much is he going to help you right away? Because the thing that Emmanuel Sanders brought was a veteran presence who you could play at all three spots, who you didn't have any questions about uh, in terms of his his ability to, to know all of his routes, um, to, to pick up his teammates, you know, to you know, be a veteran, like him, his veteran presence in that room was really important. And I think Ayuk has a really high ceiling, but I just don't know what we can count on him for in this season while the 49ers are trying to get back to the Super Bowl, because I think they they're going to need like a six, seven, eight hundred yard season from somebody like that. And so, Nick, I'm curious what you think as far as how well how quickly IU can get up to speed and be that sort of player that can be, you know, a number two receiver right out of the box.
1: Yeah, that's that's really the big question because to me, out of all out of the out of the top two rookies, who I th- I personally think there's a lot being asked of both of those guys uh, coming in as rookies and uh, being asked to replace the guys that they're replacing. And certainly on the defensive line and at wide receiver, there are other options you can help offset some of that stuff. So maybe you don't have to you know, just rely on those one guys. But, th- I mean, Kyle Shanahan was pretty honest about it on, on Thursday night when he talked about, like, these are two guys that we're expecting a lot of right away, and, he you know, he's not going to just hand him a starting job, but for all intents and purposes, he's saying that this is the expectation and this is what we need from both of these guys. And I think the fascinating thing about Ayuk is, is, Chris, you and I talked about this a lot in the lead-up to the draft uh, when we talked about guys like C.D. Lamb and things like that was – you know, are, they, are these guys too redundant with what Kyle Shanahan wants? You know, is do they need to add a dimension that they don't have? And I think a lot of people, myself included, I'm not going to revise history on that either, uh, thought Henry Ruggs was the guy, and obviously they didn't even have a chance to take him, but we thought he was the guy because he brings something different. Well, what we've come to find out here is that Kyle Shanahan has a type. <laughs> you know, he's he's got the guy, he's got something that he wants out of his wide receivers, and he wants a bunch of guys who can create yards after the catch and, and be a guy like Brandon Ayuk? He's Ayuk is in a tough spot because he's coming into a situation where a lot is asked is going to be asked of him. And in terms of on field off season work, there's going to be very little of it for all for for all that we can tell at least right now. And we don't even know what training camp could look like because of of COVID nineteen. So. I think he's in a really tough spot. I think more is going to be asked of, of Kendrick Bourne. I wouldn't be surprised if Ayuk is even maybe a little bit further behind the curve of what Debo Samuel was last year. And by the way, Samuel is his last name in case people are wondering. Uh, but Debo Samuel was a little slower behind the curve last year, and that's normal for receivers, you know. But once he took yeah. off, he was great over the second half of the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see Ayuk follow a very similar trajectory and maybe even just a hair slower because he's not going to have as many opportunities to get on the field as a guy like Debo did last year.
3: I think, I think one of the important things to remember, too, with Ayuk is he's, even if even if he is up to speed, like, like forget that he, he might be way behind the curve, like the Niners just aren't a high-volume passing offense. And so I, I'm envisioning a scenario where he catches like 35 passes for 500 yards and, and a couple touchdowns this year while maybe some of the other receivers uh, put up bigger numbers. But I think IU can be really valuable without putting up monster numbers, especially if he really starts to come into his own towards the end of the season, weeks kind of 14, 15 and through the playoffs uh, should the Niners make it. I I think that's where he can be really, really valuable. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him start kind of slow out of the gate, but as long as he's up to speed uh, by the times um, the games quote-unquote count, I I think that he's going to be a really, really valuable pick.
4: So one thing I I did want to ask Nick, uh, because he spent so much time with the Rams, so Chris Sims, of course, Kyle Shanahan's uh, one of his best friends or closest friends, uh, who's Currently, an NFL analyst for NBC Sports said that Kyle Shanahan thinks uh, Brandon Ayuk is uh, can be the next Isaac Bruce. Um, Bruce is obviously going to be a Hall of Famer here this year, or at least he's a candidate. Um, Nick, what, what what were your thoughts when you saw that?
1: Yeah, Isaac, Isaac Bruce is going in. He got a, he got he got picked. So uh, yeah, I I don't know about all that. I mean it, it's it's a it's a pretty lofty comparison, only in the sense that. If, if you know anything about Isaac Bruce, you know what the staple of his game was. He was one of the best route runners to ever play the game, quite simply. And if I'm, if I'm talking about route running in this draft class, Jerry Judy's the guy that most reminds me of Isaac Bruce. Now, uh, Judy wasn't as, as physical and willing to go over the middle and do some of the things that Kyle Shanahan asked of his offense and some of the things that Isaac Bruce was so good at. You know, Mike Martz's offense was similar to Shanahan's, at least in the sense of using those, you know, twelve to eighteen yard dig routes were a big part of the offense, a staple, and Isaac Bruce was great at that. But I think Ayuk can be good in that in that regard. But when I turn on the, when I turn on the Ayuk tape and I watch him running routes, I'm not saying he's bad at all. I think the beauty of him is that he's he's pretty good at it already. And and as he's the first to say, he's kind of just scratching the surface of his potential. I think he can get there, but uh, that's an awfully lofty comparison, just based on the fact that to me, Isaac Bruce's greatest attribute was was his route running and Brandon Ayukes is is what he does after he gets the ball and um so I think there's a little bit of a disconnect in that way but if he if he turned out to be Isaac Bruce uh certainly the 49ers would be more than happy to take that
4: all right so the niners didn't make another pick uh until the 5th round and it was they it was it was the result of trading Matt Breida um to the Miami Dolphins and and they wound up taking West Virginia offensive lineman uh, Colton McKivitts who initially I thought he would be a guard and maybe a candidate to, to be in that mix to start at right guard if the 49ers like him a lot. Um, but, you know, I, the, and the other thing, too, is that they basically turned an undrafted rookie Matt Breida into a fifth-round pick three years later, which is, you know, really good value. And, and considering the 49ers traded, uh, first of all, they traded one of their fifth-round picks for Trent Williams. They traded the other fifth-round pick they went into the draft with uh, to move up, Trent Williams, I should say, to move up for Brandon Iyuk. Um And so pulling, trading Matt Breida, getting a fifth for him, I think was really good value. Um, and admittedly, there's not a whole lot of video on YouTube of, of Colton McKivitts. Um, he seems like he has a big personality. His dad's a coal miner uh, who makes hats out of raccoons. And um, that I Google Google is that he, if, if is he is Davy Crockett
3: his dad? Say that again. Is Davy Crockett his dad? Right. The coonskin cap. That's a joke. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I'll be here all week. Um,
4: but Nick, I, I'm curious what what you think of the pick. And uh, John Lynch even said that they had McKivitts as a possible Plan B for Joe Staley's departure, thinking that he might be somebody who could start at tackle um as a rookie and they considered drafting him in round four or moving up for him somehow in in round four to go snag him if they didn't execute the trent williams trade um so nick what what do you think of that pick and and that that series of moves and how it all shook up yeah i'm not going to sit here
1: and pretend like i am a a expert on colton mckivitz's his his game tape, but i (laughs) I, I kind of go back to what I was just saying about Brandon Ayuk. I, I think the Niners have a type at tackle as well, at least particularly when it comes to late-round tackles, because when I read his profile and kind of you know some of the stats and things like that that he put together, it reminded me a lot of what I read about Justin school last year, where this is a guy who played at a big school. He started a bunch of games. He was a four-year starter. He played on both sides. He had all this versatility, those types of things that seem to be exactly what they want, where I think I think I always look at it this way. When you get into, I, I had a personnel guy tell me one time, when you get into rounds four through uh, through seven to the last day of the draft, a lot of times you're not drafting traits anymore. you're drafting a skill. like you're drafting something that you can believe in and, and, and in this case, there's probably not a ton of upside. It's not like he's gonna magically turn into a dominant athlete, but you know what you're getting. He's tough, he's proved durable, he's proved versatile all those types of things, and I think that's what the Niners are getting here. And, you know, also I just have to add this in because I I found it very, very humorous. Um, The NFL.com draft profile on Colton McKivitz had this tidbit. He's a, quote, bona fide dirt dog with chippy demeanor. Um, I don't know what that is exactly, but it definitely sounds like something that the Niners should be interested in for a backup offensive line.
3: It feels like he just fits this kind of – like like type that like a like a Daniel Brunskill who came in as a tackle, he played some tackle but he can also play guard and I think that McKivitts like his arms aren't very long and I think that 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 kind of like quote unquote dirt dog nasty mentality is it a bona fide dirt dog. I'm sorry, say it again?
1: A bona fide dirt dog?
3: Oh, he's bonafide. Okay, that changes my whole take. Yeah, so he is a bonafide dirt dog. Don't 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 forget the qualifier, and I think that that's probably better served along the interior. But like he has a ton of experience at tackle and, and can play that position. So it's it's you have Ben Garland who can play multiple spots. You have Tom Compton who can play multiple spots. Daniel Grun- uh, Brunskill can. Like I think that's just kind of the the prototype for an offensive lineman uh, with the 49ers right now. It just gives them so much more flexibility in terms of who they have up on game day and who, who plays where when a player goes down, as we saw last year, that's very important. Like Daniel Brunskill and Justin school were uh, at worst adequate filling in for Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey. And it's a big reason the 49ers won 13 games. And then Mike person goes down and Brunskill slides in at right guard and does a nice job. Weston Richburg goes down and Ben Garland comes in and plays some center and does a nice job. Like they 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 need bodies who can play multiple spots. Plus Trent Williams didn't play at all last year, and so you're not 100% certain uh, kind of what you're getting with him, especially if there's there's no offseason program. So I just I I think that having as many players who can play as many spots as possible has been their goal and I think McKivitz is that.
1: Yeah, and keep in mind too that uh, I, I I don't think you just maybe you just mentioned this and I and I spaced out for a second, but I, I I think that now you know this year with the expanded rosters, teams are allowed to have a couple extra guys up on game day, right. and one of them has to be an offensive lineman. So anytime you do that, uh, you're obviously looking to add more competition anyway. But now you're going to have another guy up on game day as well, and so having guys who are capable of filling in all over the place. Uh, is is even more important now than it was in the past. So
4: let's move on to uh, to Charlie Warner and guys. I have his spider graph up in front of me, um, and I want to let you know I'm a little bit I'm I'm kind of impressed. He's got his broad jump in, is in the 80th percentile, 120 inches, which is pretty good for a, a late round tight end. He's got big hands, which we know uh, helps a lot. He's got short arms. His his 31. And one eighth inch arms are in the third percentile, so very short. But I was watching him. Uh, I was watching a game today uh, from Georgia, from him at Georgia, and he lines up everywhere. He lines up out wide in the slot, in line, uh, sort of off the line as an H back. He's he's used in motion a lot. Obviously, the 49ers love his blocking, and so I'm going to qualify this because I don't think Charlie Warner is going to be the next George Kittle. But there is a similarity in that. The 49ers knew uh, George Kittle was a very good blocker and that he had the athleticism to potentially be more than that, and obviously that came true. I think the same might be true for Warner in that he might be a little bit more than just a blocking tight end. Like I, I think I do see the upside potentially as a number two tight end as a guy who, at at worst, is a good blocking tight end who, who gives you what Levine Toilolo and maybe Garrett Selleck gave you in a blocking role, and and maybe he's a guy that you know only has five catches this season, but plays you know a decent amount of snaps, twenty or thirty percent of the snaps in any given day. Um, do you guys do you guys see the value, uh, Kyle? I'll start with you. Do, you. do you see the value in getting Charlie Warner there in the sixth round, and do you think he has a real shot at making the team,
3: Kyle? Oh, yes on both. I was muted. Uh, (laughs) Yes on both, because I got loud cats, so I have to mute while I'm not talking. Uh, It's a sixth-round pick, so the risk is already pretty low. But they they needed another tight end. Like, Daniel Helm probably wasn't going to come in and be Levine Toilolo. Warner was... I think the top run blocking tight end in this class, according to pro football focus, and he's going to play like what maximum 20% of the snaps, 25% of the snaps. So I I just, I, I think that it's a, it's a prime example of bringing a guy in who's just going to fit a system. Like if they had drafted him to be George Kittle, that's a, that's an issue. But if they're, Bringing him in to make him a run blocker, he's he's the best at that thing, and they're going to make sure he's doing just that thing. Like that's what Bill Belichick's so good at is finding players with a specific skill set and putting them in a position to thrive on that skill set. And I think that's what the Niners are doing with Warner.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's exactly I I, I feel that the same way kind of about Warner as I do McVitts, where it's. Right what is the one thing that you know that you're getting out of this guy and is it something you can use? And if it is, then it's worth it's worth taking a flyer on. Now, if he develops other stuff, great. You're never going to try to stop him from doing that. That's what practice is for. But in the meantime, if you have a design for what is the best way for him to contribute and it's something like run blocking, which in this case, obviously, with the 49ers, that is a huge part of what they need and what they ask of their tight ends, then, then it makes sense. And it's it's funny because if you look at going into the draft, what are the positions where the Niners have some competition or have some potentially open roster spots uh, for a sixth or a seventh-round pick to make the team? I think you would look at backup tight end and say there's there's a vacancy there. And so Charlie Warner, as, as sixth-round picks go, trying to make a Super Bowl roster, uh, he seems like he's in a pretty good spot.
4: Yeah, so Ross Dwelly played – Thirty-four percent of the offensive snaps last year. Levine Toilolo played eighteen percent, um, and Garrett Selleck played uh, less than six. <clears throat> excuse me, less than six percent of the snaps. Um, and so, yeah, I, I with with Toilolo and Selleck gone, I, I think there's absolutely an opportunity for for Warner there, and and I'm I'm intrigued by by his versatility and his athleticism. Um, and he's also a good special teams player, so at least that isn't a question mark when you're trying to project him uh, in terms of uh, making the roster. So the last pick that we'll talk about is a seventh rounder, and this wasn't the Forty Nineers' pick either. This was a pick they got in the trade in 2018 for uh, from the Detroit Lions for Eli Harold, the outside linebacker, pass rusher guy. Um, and so they uh, go with pass Ju-
3: rusher guy
4: pass rusher guy that's uh (laughs) that's his official I I looked it up on the Lions roster yeah
3: no Um, I I, analytics position
4: yeah I actually don't even know if he's still on the the Lions roster to be honest but so the Niners get Jawan Jennings who is like who is somebody Kyle Shanahan would like only in the sense that he's impossible to tackle after the catch he has sort of that Debo Samuel George Kittle quality to him um but, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He's one of the slowest receivers I've ever
3: watched. So slow.
4: He's very slow, but he's very effective. He's extremely yeah. physical. He's hard to bring down. Um, he makes catches in traffic. I think Pro Football Focus had him as their 70th
3: overall prospect. Yeah, they um, compared him to Michael Crabtree. Right, which
4: is which is wild, and I don't think that's a good comparison. But... Um, Nick, what what do you think of Juwan Jennings and that, you know, we talked about Jalen Hurd? Can he be can he be like the guy that the forty ers rely on to do Jalen Hurd things if Jalen Hurd isn't available? Can he be that guy? Because he's nothing like any of the other receivers. He doesn't have the movement skills that Jalen Hurd does at all. Um but they do have similar size. Um well, Nick, what do you think of that pick?
1: I think I think that's the hope, right? I think he's your you're you're hoping that he's your Jalen Hurd insurance because you're right. Some of the things he does are similar in terms of being a big physical presence who's willing to run through any tackler and and all that. Of course, he's slower than Jalen Hurd as well as you mentioned. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be difficult for him to make the roster if if you have Trent Taylor healthy and if you have Jalen Hurd healthy and. Those are big ifs. I, I I admit, and you know they did move Marquise Goodwin, so at least that that freed up one spot. But um, I, I think again, once again, just go back to it. What's the one skill that he brings to the table? It's yards after catch and breaking tackles. And so uh, they they have found what that thing is, and they know that that's something that plays in their offense. Theor at least in theory, if if the guy can play. But just from looking at what I saw, he's, he's pretty raw. He's not going to get a lot of separation because. It's not just the speed thing. It's a quickness. It's a short area quickness, and it's a, a, it's an ability to separate that you don't see a ton of. So uh, those are things that Kyle Shanahan usually prefers. But again, in the seventh round, if a guy has all those abilities, that, that player's not going to be there. Or if he is, it's for a different reason.
3: So he went to Tennessee as a dual-threat quarterback, and he was actually ranked higher nationally in high school than Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson. So... Um, they had him as a wildcat quarterback sometimes. He scored a touchdown with that. Uh, and the stat that really jumps out to me, I, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I don't think he's going to come in and be a, a number one receiver, but the stat that jumps out to me and just kind of the big picture of what the Niners are trying to build on offense is they they drafted Brandon Ayuk, who was number one in the country in yards after the catch this year. At nine point nine, or I should say, last season, at nine point nine yards after the catch per reception, and Jawan Jennings was number one in percentage of catches with a broken tackle at fifty one percent. That was nine percent higher than C. D. Lamb, who was number two in the class. So it's it's not a it's not a huge surprise that he was the guy they targeted late because he is so effective after the catch like he seeks contact it's it's he plays well through contact at at scouting term at the catch point so I (laughs) I see where he fits I don't know if his skills will translate to the NFL just because like there's like a a base level athleticism (laughs) you gotta have and I'm not sure he gets there but I I I like the idea and I, I get where they were trying to go and I think that if he does have a role in the offense it's it's one where it's a lot of underneath stuff and a lot of uh, kind of short throws where he's breaking a tackle and and trying to make a play. So it's clear what kind of players Kyle Shanahan is trying to add, and, and Jennings fits that mold for the most part.
4: But before we wrap up, Kyle, can you talk about uh, the response that you've gotten from Volunteer Nation?
3: Holy crap! Uh, after tweeting about him, so I've done what four drafts now between the between the two sides I've written for. I have never seen a college fan base rally behind a player that volunteers fans have for Jawan Jennings. I tweeted about him yesterday afternoon at 4.30, 5 o'clock, maybe 6, and I'm still getting responses from Tennessee fans who love Jawan Jennings, and there's a video of him that I guess went viral in Volunteers Twitter. Where he said uh, after a game after they won he said y'all gonna learn today and so a bunch of people said that to me um, (laughs) which is I was like what (laughs) Uh, so I've I've never seen a a college fan base rally because you always get you guys know like you tweet about the Niners drafted uh, player X from University A and. You'll get the random person who doesn't follow you, but they've got hashtag Roll Tide in their bio, and they're like, "Love this guy." Well, it's that, but like on on a massive scale. So, if you're looking for weird reasons for optimism about Jawan Jennings, he is beloved by the Tennessee fan base, and they are very excited to see him in the NFL. Yeah, well, which I'm sure Kyle Shanahan. Used as a evaluation for him.
4: Yeah, he might have. Um, I just want to, just real quick, like the uh, the wide receiver depth chart. The like the back end of it is going to be very competitive because you have probably five guys competing for one or two spots. Like Brandon, I like the guys who are locks. Brandon, Ayuk, Debo, Samuel, Kendrick, Born, um, and then I guess you have one two. Six guys maybe competing for the final three spots, I should say. So then you have Trent Taylor, Kelvin Benjamin, Dante Pettis, Richie James, Jalen Hurd, and Juwan Jennings, theoretically. It's going to be fascinating. Um, let's wrap this up because we're we're well over an hour. We didn't really get into critiques of this draft, and, and that's probably better for, for the next episode because there certainly are some areas where the 49ers didn't hit Um, that we can talk about and what that means going forward. But Nick, thank you so much, man, for joining us, hopping on here. It's always fun having you. Um, to both of you guys, I really appreciated having you guys on the group chat throughout the draft. Uh, very helpful. Without, without that group chat, I probably would have, would have driven a gonster crazy in the fact that we've been stuck in this house, or I've, we've all been stuck in our houses for as long as we have. And, um, and it's been fun to, to have that communication and, and joke like we do. So I appreciate you guys for that uh, and and great work on the draft. Thanks. Uh, thanks
1: for having me. I always enjoy popping on with you guys. I agree on the, on the group chat. It definitely makes it, get through easier, especially when Kyle sends us his own tweets so that he makes sure uh, we see them, uh, the the ones that hit. He doesn't send us all of them, thankfully.
3: I know I'm a volume shooter, so I'm really trying to send you guys the highlights.
1: No, but Kyle...
3: I care what you guys think, okay? Is that what you want to hear? Fine. Yeah. All right. That's what it is. I care what you guys think about me, okay? So... I want.
1: (laughs) I was going to say you had some major hits and people should go check your Twitter feed. Oh, but but anyway, I I I did enjoy it and it was actually a very interesting draft uh, for the Niners. This is I've covered the league for seventeen years and this is the first time I've covered a team coming off of a Super Bowl and I think it's just fascinating to watch how this whole off season has played out to see the way that they've tried to like we talked about earlier, kind of balance staying in their window while extending it at the same time. And um, I I agree with you, Chris. I don't know that they're necessarily a better team right now than they were last year. I think it would be hard to argue that they are. I would think you'd probably say they're a little bit worse. But I also think they're a team that has put themselves in position to stay contenders for the foreseeable future. And if you're a fan, that's all you can really ask for because sustaining success in the NFL is awfully difficult.
3: Yeah. I I think they might not be better today than they were – on the day of the Super Bowl, but I think their outlook in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three is better today than it was the day of the Super Bowl. Yeah,
4: I think with that nailed it. Let's wrap. Uh, thanks. Hang on. Can we do that a was... can we
3: each give a grade?
4: Ooh, on like the last three days?
3: Yeah, on the Niners draft. Sure. Or really you can grade anything if you want. Sure.
4: Maybe um, my best tweets. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna grade I mean, the, the the sequence of events, I think, I think I'm think i going to give them a B+. Plus. Yeah. Um, and this kind of goes back to the Buckner trade, getting that 13th pick, being able to leverage that into helping them upgrade their second first-round pick. Um, the haul they came away with, I think all the pieces make sense. I think getting Trent Williams in a trade for just a third and a fifth is excellent value. Um, we'll see if they can re-sign him long-term or not. Um, but I think that that ultimately might be their best move of the offseason, is getting Trent Williams amid Joe Staley's retirement. Uh, so with all that said, I'm going to go B+. I'm not sold on Kinlaw and Ayuk being immediate contributors, significant contributors right away. Um, but I think they are about as well. They're the prospects that I think the 49ers, the 49ers did as well as they could getting rookies to replace you know, Buckner and Emmanuel Sanders. I think that's about as well as the 49ers could have done um, without spending more money in free agency or spending more to bring those guys back. So B-plus for me. Nick, how about you?
1: I'm going to give a grade of the tradition of giving grades the day after the draft, uh, draft an F um, <laughs> because I, I absolutely love it and I refuse to participate it, in it. And since you guys aren't paying me, I don't have to. So that's <laughs> that's 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 my stance. That's my grade. What
3: a great point! Fair enough. I love that. I respect. Hey, I le- you 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 were gonna zag and you leaned hard into it, so I respect it a lot. I'm gonna go. I, I hmm, I'm gonna go B. Okay. And I and I say that because I I think that they could have done more. And like not picking on day two and three makes it really difficult to feel good, like really good about a draft. And I think that if they had picked even even once, like added one pick on on day two at some point, I, I and you know gotten a tight end a little earlier or gotten uh, another cornerback or a safety or, or whatever it is. I think I might have, feeling, might have felt a little bit better. So I'm going to go with a B because they did add Trent Williams. They they did address all kind of their needs. They did get a backup tight end. They uh, improved their depth on the offensive line. They replaced Buckner and Sanders. Like, they checked all the boxes. I just think that they might have been able to check those boxes a little bit more effectively so they, they fall short of it.
4: All right. Well, that's it, I guess. Thanks, everybody, for uh – for tuning in, subscribe, rate, and review to Candlestick Chronicles and all of the Blue Wire podcasts wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll talk to you guys next week. We'll have some, some critiques and criticisms and, uh, and talk more big picture stuff on our next episode. So tune in for that.
2: Support your journey to wellness at dot forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.